0: This is the Word of God, and it says this, "'And you were dead in your trespasses and sins "'in which you once walked. "'You were following the course of this world. "'You were following the prince of the power of the air, "'the spirit that's now at work "'and the sons of disobedience, "'among whom we, we all once lived "'in the passions of our flesh, "'carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, "'and we were by nature children of wrath, "'just like the rest of mankind.'" But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he's he's raised us up with him and he's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I, I think that, that passage does well at transitioning us from the time where we remember the past, we, we enjoy the present, and we look forward to the future, it also ties us back to what we've been talking about over the last few few weeks. And, and let, me, um, let me tell you this and set the course, because some of you are like, this service has gone off the rails. Um, what's about to happen is this. We are going to worship with our giving. And for the next 25, 30 minutes, we're going to prepare our hearts To worship through giving. Now, everything in me wants to tell a joke about this better be a big offering, but that's not what I mean. you have a check, write it now. Because I can't convince you to be incredibly generous. I don't want to. What we've talked about already is that generosity is motivated out of an understanding of the grace that has been given to us. Generosity is motivated out of an understanding of what these elements picture. But but as I reflected and, and talked with Jeremy, and we, we we were praying about this weekend, and what do we do? I mean, last weekend was that upbeat, in your face, walk out of here, skipping kind of service, wasn't it? And, and, and so it's a, how do we compete with that? Well, praise God, we don't have to compete with that. We we and this this is so this is this is a peek behind the curtain if there ever was one. Um. I wrestle with the desire to get up here and handle God's Word in such a way and communicate it in such a way that, that it could be categorized as a home run every week. However, God is just as glorified with a single every once in a while. we just got to get on base, put the ball in play, we'll be okay. Um, that's not this morning either, though. Um, <laughs> they may have to man the microphone very carefully this morning. I've sensed some loudness and enthusiasm coming. Good. You can scream and holler. That make me feel a little bit more at home. Um, I want to read the passage, and I think you'll understand. this. Even the passage in Ephesians that I read, Paul cracks me up. Stephanie and I were talking about this week. It cracks us up to read the Apostle Paul's writings. And you read through it, and then he'll be talking about one thing, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of what makes absolutely no sense, he he like... Shout something that has nothing. I mean, it has to do with it, but it's really not the point. Even in the Ephesians 2 passage, he's, he's walking through, he's like, and he's going to show his immeasurable riches of grace. By grace, you've been saved. Oh, that's right. I got to get back to this. So, so I can relate well with Paul. It's that squirrel chaser. He does it again in 2 Corinthians 9. He does it at the end of this time. And we would do well if we would follow his gaze. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll start reading in verse 8, I'm sorry, I'll start reading in verse 6. Um, We're going to start walking through the passage in verse 8, but in verse 6 he says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, and each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you you may abound in every good work, for as it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way in order to be generous in every way I mean, he gets to the end point and it cracks me up because he's like, and so says, so you give, this is how I'm going to respond. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. And they're going to feel this. They're going to get thanksgiving to God. And, and, and the reason you're giving is because you've, you've understood the surpassing grace of God upon your life. I can't believe how good this is. It's like, Paul, relax, man. It's all right. But isn't that the life we should live? In every area, in every relationship, in every victory, in every trial, isn't that the life we should live? Man, thanks be to God for this, this inexpressible gift. And we don't even mean the situation. We don't mean the trial. We don't mean the blessing. We don't mean, we don't mean the gift. What we mean is the greatest act of generosity that has ever been demonstrated in humanity. That you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might be made rich. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That, that, that's an understanding. And, and what he, what, what Paul says in this passage, and it's going to take me a very short amount of time to get there, um, because again, it's, it's boiling up. But, but what he's saying is this, he's saying God provides all that we need in order to be generous with our worship. So so even as you look through those verses that we read, God God provides all that we need. You look at verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you can have all sufficiency in all things at all times, and you can abound in every good work. God, God is able to give you so much, it, it abounds. The idea is, is a, a, a bowl that just runs over. You can continue to fill it up, and it, it continues to overflow. It continues to overflow. And, and the picture is God's grace just continues to overflow its bowl, its container, and, and you're holding your cup underneath it, and, and it is filling full so much so that now your cup is also overflowing the, 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 the boundaries of the container. He says, God is able to abound and, and give you more than enough. He's able to do that because everything is His to give. And he, he does that. He gives us everything we need. I think there's an important caveat that we should make here. He doesn't give us everything we want, and He certainly doesn't give us everything we think we need. I still think I need my hair back from when I was in high school. It was pretty cool. I still think I need a new car. Still think I, I need an extra zero on the end of my salary. Still think I need that relationship, the one that I lost. I need that relationship to be restored. I still think that I need fill in your own blank. part of our problem is this gets challenged when entitlement and expectations get in the way. I deserve. I deserve that relationship. I deserve that blessing. I deserve that promotion. I deserve, I have been such a good little boy that God should go in turn, bless me with everything that I want. No, what you deserve is eternity in hell. The fact that you have everlasting life because of the Son, you are a blessed person. God provides all that we need in order to be generous. And I think that's very important that we, we don't miss this. In, in verse 11, he's, he's telling us that, that you will be enriched in every way. And if it stopped there, we would have the prosperity theology movement. You have been enriched in every way. Done. See, so you know Jesus, and now you're wealthy. Now, you've been enriched in every way, verse 11 continues, in order to be generous in every way. That's what stewardship is. That's what management is. That's the idea of God has given you these blessings, innumerable as they may be, not so that you can hoard them, not, not so that it makes much of you, but so that you can turn in turn manage those in such a way to meet the needs of other people. God has been generous to you so that you might, or God has, has, has blessed you and enriched you so that you might be generous. What do we need to be generous? Um, think about a car. You start the car. What, is, what does it take to be a generous person? Well, you have to start the car, and you start the car of generosity with an understanding of the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. So, so that starts the car. Now, now when you are driving and you you need to steer the car, our generosity is steered by both personal and corporate accountability and good stewardship, good management. So, so what fuels the car? Well, what fuels the car is what we talked about last week, that that there is a promise that is associated with our generosity, and it's not the the prosperity. If you give to God, he is just going to bless your socks off. No, if you give to God, what you reap is the full pleasure of God. You, You reap the very smile of God. He is pleased with you. So that fuels the car, but what's the destination? Where are you trying to get? Well, the destination of generosity is worship. It's worship. Generosity culminates in worship. It, it, it isn't just generosity ends when we've emptied our pockets of everything that we own. That's not the point. Generosity isn't that, that we live a lifestyle where, <coughs> excuse me, others will see you and they'll think, wow, what a generous person. Not, not that at all. Generosity culminates with our worship. Um, in verse 11, he talks about that. Excuse me. He says that when you do this, it'll produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, it'll overflow in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, they will glorify God. So when you're being generous, what ends up uh, happening, the outcome of that is is great worship to God. Yes, we meet the needs of others, but that's not it. It doesn't end there. And and, and this worship flowing from generosity flows from a proper understanding of two key things truths that every single one of us needs to wrestle with, every single one of us needs to understand. And in order to do that, I want to take you to another passage to point it out to you. And so go, go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'd use a cough drop for this cough. The problem is the reason I'm coughing is I just choked on my cough drop. Very effective. Very <laughs> effective. First Chronicles chapter 29. <clears throat> let, me, let me kind of summarize the, the story for you up to where we're going to begin. So, so David, the king, um, has decided to take up an offering for the temple. And, and what he has done is, is he has ended up taking up a huge offering, which we'll talk about in a second. The, the, the concept, the idea, the goal was to, to bring in enough funds in order to build this temple. And the temple wasn't just going to be this cool piece of architecture. The temple wasn't going to be just a, a big monument to God, a, a guidepost where we can remember all the God's goodness. That, that wasn't what the temple was going to be. The temple was going to be a place where Israel could meet with God and where future generations of Israelites could learn about God, the one who delivered Israel in their past, so, so as the leader calling for this offering in order to build the temple, David starts the giving. Um, if you look at, at verse 4 of chapter 29, he, he gives 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver. So, so just that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. A talent is about 75 pounds. So, so David, conservatively, gave 225,000 pounds of gold 525,000 pounds of silver. I think we need to get our ushers on a weight training program because there ain't no way they're carrying those baskets. So, so David leads with that and then the people respond with this huge offering and, and it's funny, verse 8 talks about they bring their offerings and they, they give them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite, uh, which, which would pr- pretty much be our executive pastor that was in the care of Mark Andrews. So he's kind of the Mark Andrews of David's staff team, I guess. But by the time this offering is done, they have enough resources. I mean, they have resources coming out their ears. They can build this temple in ways that nobody ever imagined, and this thing is going to be huge. What's amazing is it's not about how much money they took in. What we see in this chapter is we're able to see the hearts of the people and David as they take this offering. And and remember I told you that in order to, to worship, and a worship that flows from a proper understanding of two key truths, the first truth is very easy to see as we begin reading in verse 10. It's this, God is awesome. Look at verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said this, blessed, Are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever? Yours, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Well, it's interesting, you read a commentator on on those verses in David's prayer, and one commentator says this, David's prayer ransacks the theological dictionary in order to attribute glory to God. He uses every word that has been used in order to ascribe glory to God. He walks through the, the whole theological dictionary. He begins with greatness. He says, God, yours is the greatness. Okay, there's a word that we use often, <clears throat> right? It's great. Oh, that's great. What was it saying? Yours is the greatness. It's talking about the very bigness of God. You want to see the bigness of God? I don't know, take some time this, this week and read Genesis one and two. You want to see the bigness of God? As He creates everything we know. On day one, as He creates the heaven and the earth, the light and the day and the night. On day two, He He divides the, <clears throat> the heaven and the earth. On day three, he's got dry land and <clears throat> grass and plants and trees. Day four is my favorite. Day four is my favorite because it's the day that, well, let me, let me read you uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Just, just hear this. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about that, God, God's creating the sun and the moon, but, but the verse doesn't end there, it's, there's a tack on, it's a dash. Remember that old guy, Victor Borgo? I mean, It's one of those things. If you don't know who that is, Google it. I did not just make that up, I promise. I'm sophisticated, I would never have done that on my own. There's a dash. There's something that's tacked on the end. It's an afterthought. So, so let me read that verse to you. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars, and the stars, just whatever, he, you know, sun, moon, eh, I'll throw a couple stars up there. That's no big deal. No big deal. Yours is the greatness. Continues creation on day five, creating fish and birds. Day six, animals that that, that roam the earth, a man. On day seven, he took the day off because he was done. Yours is the greatness. Yours is the power. And let's continue to talk about creation when we talk about power. I can't assemble an Ikea bookshelf with the instructions. In God's power, he spoke these things into existence. Job 26 is awesome. Job 26, Job, Job starts to uh, talk about things that are obvious to God but kind of hidden from us. And so he kind of walks through some things. He's like, you know, the earth, the earth, it just kind of is suspended from nothing. It's just kind of hanging there. I mean, figure that one out. The clouds, I mean, the, the clouds, th- think about this for a moment. The clouds store up water and they're not split apart by the weight of the water. The, the, the moon, the moon, we see the moon in all its glory at night. It's beautiful, it's bright. And then there's sometimes it's just gone. The horizon. The horizon, you, you go out and look across the water at the horizon and, and there is a place that's rounded and, and it's a place where light and darkness meet. Th- this is our God. This is our God and he continues his, his overwhelmingness and he says this in Job chapter 26 verse 14. These are just the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? What you see ain't nothing. Because our God is great. Our God is powerful. Yours is the glory of God. This is the, the ultimate in magnificence and in beauty. It's the idea of though, though other people may boast, God is the only one with true reason to boast. And, and he is the most glorified when he is compared with anyone or anything else. As soon as you align him next to another being, it becomes very obvious how, how glorified he is, how, how big he is, how weighty he is. I mean, we, we talked about the, the, the ten plagues a few weeks back, and you remember that that as as Pharaoh was hearing about this God, he's like, "Who, Who is this God that I should obey him? In Exodus chapter 7, God basically says, Hey, Pharaoh's gonna know who I am. And the ten plagues are unleashed. And the Israelites. Run from Egypt to the Red Sea, which is then stacked up like a house of cards, and they walk through and it doesn't even wobble. But as soon as the Egyptians, God's enemies, get into the middle of it, he crashes down the cards upon them and destroys his enemy, and now there is no doubt as to who gets the glory. See, yours is the greatness, yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the victory. See, every battle that has ever been won, any progress that has ever been made, that's him. Stop fooling yourself into thinking you're something wonderful. God is awesome. He he took the Israelites from nothing. He gave them everything. And here's the crazy part. Even at this point in biblical history, there is still more to come. Isaiah 25, verse 8, God will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. There'll be no more sin, there'll be no more sorrow, and there'll be no more shame. Victory is his. And so David is reflecting on how awesome God is. He says, yours is the greatness, yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the victory, yours is the majesty Try to define the world word majesty. It's impossible. I, I looked it up in about a hundred different sources, and actually a lot of them, the, the biblical dictionaries, don't even touch the word. Why? Because what majesty is is taking all of the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and pouring it all into one. And when you take that one big ball of all of that, you see him and all of his beauty, and all of his splendor, and all of his awe-inspiringness. What majesty really is, is the awesomeness of God. I don't mean the throwaway word. Awesome! Oh God, so awesome! No, 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 that's not awesome. Awesome is a nonverbal gut reaction as you lose the ability to speak or to express verbally what it is you're seeing. Awesome is more of a noise than it is a word. And that's our God. King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who holds in his hands The power and the authority to make great, to make strong, to give victory. He's the one who distributes riches and honor. He's the one who is filled with strength and power. It comes down to simply defining it as this. God is awesome. And in order for us to worship out of a place of generosity, we must start there. We must understand that God is awesome. And then we must understand that we are not. Right? Right? That's as simple as it gets, folks. In fact, David goes straight there. Look at verse 14. Okay, God, God yours is the greatness and the power and the victory and the, the glory and the majesty and, and all that's in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. This is you. You are awesome. I stand before you in awe. But who am I? What is my people? that we should be able to offer this willingly. See, all things come from you. And of your own, we've given to you. We're just strangers before you. We're sojourners as, as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is none abiding Lord our God, all of this abundance that we have provided for building you a house and for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Who in the world do we think we are? Think think about that for a moment. You're standing before the God of the universe and you're confessing with your mouth, "Look, look, I get it. Everything I just gave you is yours already. How could I take glory in myself and the power of my generosity and gift? (laughs) So it comes to be Christmas time, and your neighborhood decides to do a, a gift exchange. So you draw your neighbor, you get together for your community party, people are opening gifts. It comes time for your neighbor to open the gift that you're giving to him. He opens the gift and he finds the shovel that he lent you a year ago. Merry Christmas! Isn't it awesome? I mean, I am so thoughtful. How ridiculous is that? And yet, don't we do the same thing? Uh, Lord, you don't understand how much of a sacrifice this is for me to give this to you. Oh. You want to talk about sacrifice? Okay. Have you heard of my son Jesus? You want to talk about generosity? You want to talk about a gift? That will blow your mind. Put away your checkbook. I'll give you my son. Who am I? The psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you even think about us, God? Who, Who am I that you would remember me in my greatest need and be so generous as to lay down your life for me? you're awesome. I'm not. And in the very midst of my unawesomeness, you showed up. And why would we worship? Why wouldn't we worship? <laughs> why wouldn't we stand and shout his name? Why, why wouldn't we be willing to give to him what he has already given to us? Where were we? See, it goes back to even what we the, the the way the context of the Lord's Supper this morning. We we remember our past. Where were we? We were lost, we were hopeless, we we're orphans with no home, we we're, we're filled with shame. But God, who is so very rich in mercy, loved us. Even when we were dead in our sinful rebellion, he loved us. And he made us alive together again with Jesus, all because of grace. I mean, when we consider that, when we remember our past, when we, we remember our present, when we think forward to the future, our hearts should cry out with David's, thank you. Our hearts should cry out with Paul's. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So this morning, as we come to the time of our offering, as we give, may we give with an understanding of what grace we've been given. May may we give with intentionality and cheerfulness in our hearts. And may we give as an act of worship because that is exactly what it is. Let's pray for our morning offering.